Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Ozaran Podcast. This is uh, Dave here. Uh, I was not able to attend this recording of the podcast for a couple of different reasons. Um, in my place is Ash, who will be recording with Liam and Brian. Uh, the usual applies, some strong languages featured herein, so um, if you're in the office, put some headphones on. Thanks and keep listening. Hey, welcome to the Ozaran Podcast. This is episode 8. I'm Brian, and I'm joined today by Liam and Ashley. Hi, guys. Hello. Or Steve. No, no, no. Wait, we have to... We have to broaden our horizons. Broaden our horizons. Steve is is wonderful, but he is not here today. Um, so, let's just start off the show um, referring back to Dave's competition question last week. He, uh, he posed the question uh, for our poorly remembered video game quote, which was... Yo, grandmama's mum. So yeah, that was Wex Major from Wild Nine, which we all knew. Totes. And uh, here's that clip in context. Yo, grandmama's mama! I, I like Wild Nine. It's a very good game. It is a great game. I haven't played it in a long time. It's been a long time since I've played it as well. I'm afraid I've it's never been... played it, so I'm super <laughs> lost right now, but like, I it's... don't even know what's happening. It's sitting on my shelf. It's a guy... Right. Is it not the guy who did... Well, since it's set on your yeah. shelf, then clearly I've just... Doug Tenepal? I don't know. Or it's, it was Shiny Interactive, at least, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was um, Doug Tenepal. It has the same humour as Earthworm Jim. Hmm. It's quite dark and slapstick. It's, it's like, like a side-scrolling platformer. Is it always side-scrolling? Uh, no, this, I think there's some 3D stuff as well. Yeah. Um, it was. It, does, it is largely side-scrolling, but I think there's some... In, like, there's a chase scene where you're riding something through the desert as well, so that's mm-hmm. like... Towards the screen, but um, but no, that's good. It is good. Yeah. So, what we're we talking about today? Well, I think uh, we can start with Ashley. She's been playing the demo for the new Pokemon game. I have because I'm not allowed to actually buy the new Pokemon game because I haven't finished the last new Pokemon game that we bought. So yeah. <laughs> What's the, the last one that came out? Omega Ruby. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. And, and I the last still Pokemon have to come out. Yeah, I still have Omega Ruby unfinished. I've just restarted it, so I figured I'd just download the special demo for Pokemon Sun and Moon instead and give that a shot. And it's pretty good. I mean, I can imagine at this point, most people that are interested in Pokemon and listening probably already have the game and probably played the demo a long time ago because it came out a while ago. I haven't bought it yet. I was gonna. I probably won't now because Final Fantasy Fifteen's coming out. But, yeah, it's on Tuesday, right? Um... I really like some of the... It's one of those ones, though, I don't really know what to expect from it. Mm, it's heard, changed a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I've heard mixed things since it came out. Like, I really enjoyed the demo. Um, I do like that they've uh, implemented changes to the game system again. Because um, Pokemon's been going for so long now that there's only so many games you can play with the exact same structure. Um, obviously, they've taken... I think the main thing that I took from it was that you don't do gym battles anymore. The, are, see, I don't really know what the change is. They don't have gyms, but there's battles outside. So there are like... They're trials now. They're called trials rather than... And there's more out environmental stuff, is there? The way you described yeah. to me, it sounded kind of like a Zelda dungeon. Right. Yeah, so you have to... Uh, so in the in the demo, you, you do a trial. And I'm not entirely sure if it is representative of an actual trial in the game or if it's just a snippet of a trial in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the demo, you 
have to go up a hill, basically. Um, and you meet the professor. And then he sets you a challenge. So your challenge in the demo is that you get a... I think it's called a book finder. Um, and you have a wander around this cave at the top of the mountain. And you're looking for Pokemon to take pictures of them. You're looking for four dragon Pokemon to take pictures of them. But as soon as you take a picture of them, you tick them off. Right. And you have to fight them. And then after you've taken all your pictures, or after you've taken X amount of your pictures, I think it's the last one that you come across is like a mega dragon angry Pokemon. And you have to fight that. And I'm assuming that that is... I'm assuming it's a small snippet of what they're going to do rather than gym battles. They've, they've made it, as Brad said, it's kind of, I guess, sort of Zelda-esque. It's not really the exact same. There's not yeah. a lot of puzzle elements, I don't think. But I don't know, because I haven't played it. Well, the good thing about that is, I mean, not to be down on the Pokemon formula, because it's an amazing... Sure. They're, they're great games that have lasted for so long, because the formula was great. Mm-hmm. Was it like but, 25 years? Or was it 20 years this year? Or 20 years. 20 years of Pokemon? But the thing about boss battles, or gym battles, whatever you want to call them, they're just, there's no real difference between them and trainer battles. It's there's just not. the difficulty gets bumped up. Mm. Yeah. They have a theme to their Pokemon, but so they're trainers a lot of the time. Anyway, so, and you, you have to go inside the gym and maybe there's like a little challenge to get through, but none of them are particularly lengthy or hard yet. Mm. So the thing that this sounds like is it's making those challenges more of an event like yeah. um you they don't, yeah the, the only real difference between gym battles and trainer battles is you reach that point and usually you can't proceed until you beat the gym leader yeah, or you, you have to do use... something to gain access to the gym but in yeah. the end that's still just the same thing there's no real differentiation or what there's no difference between that and a trainer battle yeah really yeah. So, so this is, sounds like quite a bold departure and depending on is, how yeah. the, the trials vary in game if it's all just like the same formula in game maybe it's less interesting but if they, they play around with that it could mm. be quite quite nice I think it's, a, it's, it's definitely a nice change I mean I love Pokemon it was kind of one of the first games I really played but there comes a point where as great a formula as it is as you said it gets old because you know, I mean, you even know going into a Pokemon game, you know the exact order of the gems you're going to fight. Mm-hmm. You know the exact order of the type of gems you're going to fight. So you know what Pokemon you're going to need at every stage. And yeah, so it's it's an interesting change. I, I'll when I've, Whenever I, I am going to buy it at some point, whenever I do get the game, I will be interested to see how they vary the trials throughout it. Because from the demo, it kind of seems like there is somebody there to instigate it, but you're actually just fighting a wild Pokemon as opposed to trainer-led ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, which could be interesting. Do you get badges still? I'm not entirely sure. I haven't... Uh, like, I've played the demo. Yeah. Um, I haven't read a lot into... I didn't... Because I played the demo so late, I played the demo on the day, day after it was released. So I didn't really want to do too much digging because I don't really want parts of the game spoiled for me. Mm. So I'm not entirely sure if you still or if you still get badges or if they replace them with something else. Because yeah. at the end of the trial and the demo, I don't. Because if there's no think... gyms, 
it feels like there might not be any badges. And if there's no badges, what's, what would the final uh, well, thing I, be? I suppose if, if, a, if you have to overcome a trial, you might still get recognition for it yeah. in some forms. But is there, is, my question is, if there are no gyms, how does the Pokemon League work? Is there a Pokemon League at the end of the game? Genuinely, I don't know. Um, um, these are things I, mean, I might look up. <laughs> the sum total I know about them uh, is obviously I know that you've gone to Aloha, so it's a new region, mm. um, and obviously there's a new. There's like Surfer Dude Pokemon. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a whole new league of uh, Pokemon on the go. Um, some of the originals have taken on Alone forms, some of which are hilarious. Like, yeah, have you seen it's the... like a funny wee face. Yeah. yeah. The Diglets. Have you seen Dugtrio. Have you seen e- the Alloa version? No. It's fat. Like its face is just this massive fat. Oh, that's the one I think cat. I thought like I was thinking of not Meowth. Meowth has got one. Yes. But the person I have I remember yes. he's got like a rounded yeah. face. Big fat cat the version. Executor uh, <laughs> with, a a neck. Neck. with a long neck. It's it's so creepy. Yeah. That's that's the one lasting memory. Have you seen the Dugtrio one? Yes, it's it's, it's got like long handsome. blonde hair. With the hair, it's like the beach boys. <laughs> Yeah. Or Hanson, yeah. Yeah, sorry. they are. They're the Hanson brothers. Um, I read on some internet site, somebody commented saying that Snorlax should have had a Hawaiian shirt. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, That'd be strong. Really yeah. They missed a trick there. Um, um, but, but, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know about the, the badges and the Pokemon League and stuff. I just, I think what I got from the demo was that they're really, I guess because they assume that I don't know if it's because they assume that most people that are going to play the demo already know how Pokemon games work. They don't really explain it. So all they've done is they've given you a demo to introduce the new aspects. So the trials, uh, they introduced the the Mm -hmm. Z-moves. Does that sound like it was a holdover from... If there was a Pokemon... Z-moves, like... Yeah, so in... It's like a final move, I guess. It's like it's like a finisher move you can use once per battle. Yeah. For your Pokemon, um, they didn't really have anything. So. What are the conditions for being able to use it? You have to have a bracelet. <laughs> but, so presumably that lets you use it per battle. But in an actual battle itself, you said it's a finisher. Does does the enemy no, have to be below a certain point in the health bar? Or no. Well, in the demo. Use it right at the beginning. Of in the demo, you can use it straight away. I guess um, if they're wanting to demonstrate it yeah. to make it a bit easier to use yeah like um but in the in the de- i mean in the demo it just comes up so you've got your standard screen when you're battling obviously what else you want to do like do you want to fight do you want to go to your bag do you want to run do you want to switch pokemon and then in the side it's just got a big uh like jutting triangle that says z and you can press it and your Pokemon perform your Z move. I would like to assume that in the full game that, yeah, there maybe are criteria you have to meet before you can use it. Otherwise, it seems a bit of a cop-out to have it. But in saying that, it could be the natural evolution of in Omega, Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire. They've got Mega Evolutions. Yeah, I've seen some of those. So for them, you need you, you get the bracelet, and then you need specific stones for specific Pokemon mm. to Mega Evolve. So maybe you need a specific kind of shard or stone or gem or something to have a pokemon be able to use its z move in which case it would be able to use it at any point in the battle because you could mega evolve at any point in the battle but there is criteria that you have to have found the right things to be able to do it another thing i think i read was that they did away with hidden machines oh so like things like surf and fly 
and Slash or Flash. I mean, things that Pokemon you think would have. Yeah, cotton things. Like naturally, that. you know, if you if you find a if you catch a Lapras, like you should be able surf. to surf. Yeah. Because it knows how to surf or a Pinter. Cut yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think that was something I read. Like they have na- some Pokemon have natural abilities to help you progress through the game. I mean, I guess that I makes mean, sense, but I don't like that. No. I Are you sure think... that they've completely done away with? There's something I read a while ago, so I don't okay. know if it's true. But I mean, um, I'm I'm coming to this from having only played uh, like Red, Blue, and Gold and Silver. Mm. Like that that was it for me. After I'd caught them all twice, I couldn't yeah, really couldn't really be bothered progressing. Um, but like um, doing it all again. I mean, you could say that it, something like fly. Yeah. It's not necessarily that you're teaching the Pokemon to fly. You're teaching the Pokemon how to be ridden. Uh, yeah. Potentially. It'd be like, a, a horse knows how to run, but that doesn't mean a horse knows how to respond to like your commands and yeah. reins and stuff. You still need to train a horse to take a rider. But In the does... same way that you probably need to train a Pidgeotto to, to let you fly. Sit back. <laughs> potentially better ways of doing it in the game than just yeah. like flicking a switch though but if they just yeah. removed them and they're like these are natural abilities that the Pokemon have then I think that takes away from in like Pokemon red and blue where you need to get Flash to go through the cave yep um, so you go and do you beat Lieutenant Surge does he give you it or you get somewhere else something like that so there are challenges and, and it's a way of putting barriers in front of the player saying like you can't yeah. progress until but you do this there's, there's, there's better ways to do that than to just have a for sure, a I machine mean, that does it for you. It's it's the probably, best way to do it, but if they, if, better than if they have done away with it, they probably put something else in place. Yeah. I would hope. I'd hope so. Yeah. So, neither of you have played Omega Ruby or Alpha Sapphire, have you? No, have you I have the not. So, in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, they have some of the Pokemon do have natural abilities. They're not things like flying cut, but they've already introduced the idea that certain Pokemon have natural abilities that they just use in battle. Mm-hmm. So. Um, for example, things like uh, Cascoon, which is basically this generation's uh, Metapod and stuff like that, they can naturally shed their skin. So you can't, I mean, you can poison them, but they immediately disregard the effect because it just immediately sheds its skin. Oh, okay. Um, so they have introduced that for things that are that, that make sense to the, cool, what the characters yeah. are. Like Geodudes, I think, have got something called Sturdy, but I've never caught one. Uh-huh. Um, but they all have a natural ability that they can they can bring into play. Um, and they can bring it into play without you having to do anything. And talking about if they have removed uh, like HMs. So they also introduced the idea that you can train your Pokemon on the move. So there's actually a section in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. It's just like an it's like an additional screen. Um, because you've got your you've got your Pokenav, which is your map. Okay. You've got the detect nav, or there's they've got another search function that is it's your map, but it shows you Pokemon that are in the area or the yeah silhouettes of Pokemon that are there, and you can. The more Pokemon you've encountered, you can search and it'll tell you what's in the area for you to still find. Um, and then they have another uh, option, which is like the, the play area. So you can go in and you can now train your Pokemon um, to up their speed or their defense or their strength and those kind of things. It's like they're like mini games that they've introduced so that you can go and it's like you, just, you have to tap on different punching bags and that sort of thing. They are 
they're silly mini games, but the fact that they introduced that in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire could be something that they could have expanded on to teach them, like you're saying, maybe rather than give them a HM yeah. so that they can fly, maybe you have to play some sort of related mini game so you can that trains them. Learn fly so naturally as an like attack, but then you can develop them. it to be used as a, an ability outside yeah. of battle. Because then but, you would still be able to put the challenge there that if you don't know cut, then you can't get through these places, yeah. and if you don't know this, but rather than just say, here's a HM, you could train. I mean, that, that, it, yeah. probably it's probably not how they've done it, but it would yeah. have been interesting. It would be an interesting way to... Yeah, I mean, ultimately we're speculating on something which is already released, yeah. so it's maybe something yeah. that we could check we could out. Look into it. I always like... Um, Pokemon feels like a good indicator for how old I feel. <laughs> yes. Because... Yeah, I get that. Because I was... When did it come out? 1995. When did it come out here? 1997 or something. So I was maybe between the ages of five and seven. No, it wasn't seven. It was earlier than that. So I think it was six or earlier was the age I was maybe. Um, and obviously I got swept up in the whole Pokemon thing then. Yeah. And I think, did you both? Yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. going into high school, but yeah. So, and then with each subsequent generation, gold and silver. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and each subsequent generation, I understand less of the game, and I know less about the games. Yeah. And I played X and Y, and I can just about. Um, but so I feel like the more detached I am, and the less I understand about Pokemon, the older you get. The older I'm getting, it's and like, I'm just like, what are the kids playing these days? You're just so out of touch. Yeah, it's like, we both are. This is definitely Pokemon, but it's not Pokemon that I would recognize. Well, I can go back to Pokemon Blue and realize that. The number of Pokemon in that game are, are finite. Yeah. And I know them all. Like I, I could you could show me any Pokemon from the first game and I could still name yeah, it. Yeah, and the second one for me at least. Yeah, well I mean quite a lot of the second one I can still remember the Pokemon um, from the like the second generation. Yeah. But specifically like I, I spent so many hours on uh, blue and red, um, just to, to know that game inside out. Yeah, and I still play it sometimes, like I've, I don't I don't still play it. Um I've but not played it since uh, You could show me a Pokemon from the new Pokemon, and like a new Pokemon, and you could show me a yokai from Yokai Watch. Oh my goodness! And, yeah. and I don't think I could tell you which yeah. one is from which game. Well, I mean, I, we're on what the sixth generation of Pokemon now. Yeah, no, the worst generation. It must be more. Well, Red X and, and Blue. X and Y became the sixth generation, but I don't know if the new games are a new generation or if they're the same. I'm each, pretty sure each, X and Y. I think each Pokemon gen- generation is the two games. Plus their third one that comes out later, and X and Y aren't getting a third one. So Sun and Moon is the next generation. Okay, so there's seven. Then. Yeah, at least that's my understanding of it. No Z. Uh, but yeah, at some point now, instead of just being, I look at them and it's like it's Pokemon. It's just like that's a weird little monster thing. What is that? Yeah. Um, what about Pokemon Uranium? <laughs> uh, I think that Nintendo has an obligation to defend their trademarks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this before the show because obviously. It was a fan project that was yeah. removed uh, from circulation by Nintendo's lawyers. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a shame because it seemed like uh, it had a good fan base and it was pretty solid. But it's it's gone now. It's scattered to the wind. It is a shame. No, I don't know much about it. Uh, I'm sure they put, you know, they've put in a lot of work and stuff yeah, to it, fair yeah. enough, but it's... I think it was... The, the thing that strikes me, though, is like sometimes it's like... It was there, like, it, mm. it's it's their baby, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to put a lot of work into a fan game, 
particularly a fan game which you're going to distribute widely and is a fan game of a very active IP owned by a very large company, you have to be prepared for the massive amount of work that you're putting into it to ultimately... Mean nothing. Have the... <laughs> like, you have to be aware that it might disappear. It will, it's inevitable. Because yeah. the thing is as well, like if a company doesn't defend its IP... They, if they, they if they're like it. yeah if so, they're if they're like we'll just look over this one the next yeah. time they have a court battle that can be used as ammunition against them and it's the same with I think Blizzard Nintendo was a bad it's a bad company to go to decide you want to make fan games around because the they are notorious for shutting down anything yeah. that in well, any way infringes on their IP Nintendo Holy. only really has their IPs. Like, that's, that's all they their, have. Yeah, They're going to cut you down and cut you off as the minute you put anything out. But at, at the <laughs> same time, if you look at a, like a company like Sega, which yeah. literally only has its IPs, they really encourage modding in the fan community. Like yeah. they, They've released them on Steam recently and they encourage modders and uh, editors to get involved and like redistribute. And I think part of that is the situation that you find yourself in. Sure. So That's a recent development, right? Uh, the Steam re-releases. Uh, yeah, it is. In the modern. Um, um, well, for, for the Sega games, I think. Anyway. I mean, th- there have been uh, sprite editors and modders on the scene for a long time, but it's yeah. just that now it's available to the public and anyone can I really... I mean, does that not... That smacks more to me as a, a resurgence. Like, they want a resurgence of interest. Well, I, the, the way I would see the difference between Nintendo and Sega is Sega doesn't have a... Like, there is a large fan base, yeah, but it's... Not Nintendo large. Sure. So, um, I, think I would say that Sega's fan base are far more devoted because they've stuck with Sega mm. through some questionable releases. A torrent of shite <laughs> yeah. is the phrase you're looking for. Um, and so, I would say that they are less concerned that people will see these fan projects and not buy Sega stuff. Yeah. Whereas mm. Nintendo, although they might have this, a similar amount of people who would stick with them no matter what, they maybe have more... A larger games. fickle fan base, yeah. yeah, who will see free Nintendo games yeah. and not buy actual, actual Nintendo, Nintendo games. I think not to to be too harsh towards Sega as well, but they've nothing to lose. Yeah. Also, they've done some great like um, the new Sega game that's coming. Uh, Sonic, Sonic Mania. Game. Yeah, which I believe is being developed by a man called Christopher something. I don't know his second name. Pass. I do know he, that the the core developers on it are from the modding scene. Yeah. Well, because he developed, uh, he made the mobile ports of Sa- uh, Sonic One and Two. I keep wanting to call Sonic Sega. It's like Sega 1 and 2. Oh, it's the, like, the, yes, for iOS and Android. Yeah, yeah, he made them because he also did fan Sonic games. And yeah. they are like the best Sonic... like uh, Sonic 1 and 2 on iOS and Android, they're like the best ports that you can get for anything, I think, yeah. on they're, they're really good. devices. I've played them there. My, I want to say it's like Christopher... No, actually, that's somebody I know, so that's why. <laughs> it's um, not Chris Brown. No, it's... Uh, Whoever that is, he, he does some amazing stuff. So I'm really looking forward to the next game because it basically is just a fully like official Sega fan game of their own game. Pretty almost. much. They're taking quite a big chance on this one. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to do it is to engage it. And Blizzard does something similar as well. They engaged with the people who were running the private servers. Yeah. And that's a whole other argument. But I think it's the same as like Blizzard probably didn't want to shut them down but had to shut them down. And so, instead of saying, stop that, and then leaving it, they were like, how would you come and discuss this with us and see where we could take it from there? Uh, I heard it came back, though. 
the private private server in some capacity. Okay. But um, I don't know the specifics. But yeah. Just to jump back to the Sonic Mania um, developers, so it's um, Christian Taxman Whitehead. That's Ta- him. Taxman's is an online alias. Christian Whitehead. And he, he worked on the uh, the enhanced 2011 port of Sonic the Hedgehog CD. And also Simon Stealth Tomley, who assisted Whitehead with the iOS and Android ports of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog 2. Yeah, nice. which aren't they're, they're like amazing ports if you have a phone and you like Sonic in any capacity. Yeah, they and they're really cheap well. as well. They're not expensive. They're like I, I, I want to say, a, f- a few pounds. Not. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you're listening to this on Tuesday, they might still be on sale from the Black Friday and the Digital Monday sales. Yeah. Cyber Monday. Cyber. Monday. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. I just yeah, can't like Cyber just has connotations that I don't want associated with the sale. Like, I think Cyber Monday is just a terrible name. Why, like what cyber are you talking about? <laughs> do people still use that term? Cybering. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they do. I cyber yeah. every day. Do they? I, I cyber at work. You want to cyber? Question mark. It's like, no. Blocked. No, thank <laughs> you. Was it not uh, Donald Trump that referred to cyber attacks as cybers? Cybers. <laughs> or cybering? Oh yeah, we've got to deal with that cyber. Cybers sounds like a bad like pulp sci-fi term for a cyborg. It's like, the, is he a cyber? The cybers are coming. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Uh, Donald Trump is a pulp sci-fi waiting to happen. Yeah. He's a, a lizard man. Let's let's not go into politics. <laughs> this isn't the right place. <laughs> it will ruin everything. Uh, it's it's the start of uh, that horrible sci-fi film you made me watch with. Oh, Battlefield Earth. Yeah, that's yeah. how it started. That was not fun. I thought that would be a fun bad movie night, but that film was it was not great, huh? Is it not so fun? Not so fun. Hulk the Slayer and um, what was the other film we watched? Crawl. The Slayer's They're rubbish. rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Krull was not as great as Hawk the Slayer, but they no. were both, they weren't even bad films, I wouldn't say. I'd please, say. Please make Hawk the Slayer too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we need to check what's happening with that, but yes. Pokemon's pretty good too. Yeah, Pokemon, yeah, Pokemon is Pokemon, good. Pokemon is good. I will play it, I People think. Should. Yeah, I it's, I mean, it looks... I can say immediately that I won't play it. Okay, cool. No, you won't. But, but simply, you simply because it's, and... it's a huge investment of time that I just, yeah. I'm not willing to contribute so to So you're not game. receptive to my suggestion I was going to make of turning this into a Pokemon podcast. And oh, never discussing other video games. A Pokecast. Uh, yeah, or something because, like that. Come on, there's like, Poke there's cast. enough games. If you guys don't want to do a Poke Pocket cast, then you're more than welcome, but I will <laughs> set this one out. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll make a Dark Souls podcast, but only for people that are really bad at Dark Souls. Yeah. Only for scrubs. Only for scrubs. If you get good, you're out. Dark Souls. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, I suppose like, I kind of segued onto that. That's pretty much what I've been playing this week. Um, I did get as far as the Ashes of Ariandel DLC, and I jumped in there with my uh, trusty deep axe. But you got wrecked, mate. I got wrecked. Um, it's a very tough area for somebody who's who's just gotten to the Cathedral of the Deep area in Dark Souls. Um, so I'm gonna hold off for a little while. Also, playing on PC. And I don't know if, if this is purely because it's on PC or because time has passed since the original release. There aren't as many people to play online with. I have been uh, sorely disappointed when trying to find help with bosses. You've not been very good at oh. finding pals, like. No. 
You've been invaded a lot, though. I've been invaded. Apparently, there are less people interested in co-op and are more people interested in wrecking you. Whatever happened? Well, jolly cooperation. <laughs> I know that um, the first Dark Souls had a massive PvP community. Maybe it's just as the game has been out a bit longer, people are less interested in playing through it. Yeah. And more interested in just hopping on for some PvP. I'd be curious as to whether you can. Yeah, you, you can probably only do one at a time. I was thinking you have your uh, your redstone that lets you put down your your dark sigil to yeah. be requested into PvP, and you have your white uh, soapstone which lets you jump in as cooperation. Yeah. If you can only have one sigil on the ground at any time, then maybe that's why. Um, Potentially. If, if people are choosing PvP over cooperation, which is is fair, like. Yeah. The rewards are probably higher for defeating someone in, in battle than they are for, for helping them fight a boss or just helping them muck around. Is can you bring in specific people? Uh, kind of. Because uh, you can in set Bloodborne, a password. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you could tell your friend, "Oh, I'm going to put a, a soapstone down here." here. Yeah, and then here's my password. Because you could do that in Bloodborne. But it's such a massive pain. I tried doing it with my friend uh, Sean, mm-hmm. um, because he is not that great at Dark Souls. Um, which is, is fair like it's not it's not a very easy game to just pick up and play um, but I got my ass handed to me almost as soon as I went into his world and when we tried uh, synchronising with one another so I could rejoin him and it just it we couldn't find each other again for some reason we tried to do PvP not PvP cooperation in Bloodborne yeah. you know, a friend of mine they had it was early when it first came out and they had some sort of restrictions on to who you could cooperate with yeah, it was either right. to do with your level if you were too far apart in your levels and stuff and that was really annoying we could never get it to work it so I think they fixed it but by that point I'd stopped playing Bloodborne yeah I was finished with the game so not Dave's finished I'll go back to it but Dave's still playing Bloodborne I think he's quite he a plays good it quite a lot he loves Bloodborne I think he's never been that into Dark Souls no I don't want to put words in his mouth like don't no he's not yeah. <laughs> he's not here to he's not here to <laughs> his opinion on he it, will staunchly defend Bloodborne over Dark Souls yeah he, he really does prefer Bloodborne but not to the point where it's like it's it's, a, it's not a different game but it is a different game like it there's it's so similar in a lot of ways yeah it's, a, it's, it's like so comparing different so I mean, I've never I haven't actually played yeah. either of them I've only so seen in, them both be played yeah. so it's, I'm not really entirely it's like comparing sure Dungeons and Dragons to Eldritch Horror yeah okay like, so in, yeah in Dark Souls, you have shields, for instance. Vain, but different. Uh, yeah. And it's all about uh, choosing the moment to strike. So yeah, you, and you sort of step back and you're like dodging and rolls. And uh, parrying's a much yeah, bigger thing as well. Much slower combat. Uh, in Bloodborne, parries are a big thing in Bloodborne, actually. Right. Because you can't block in Bloodborne. So you have You to have parry. no shield. Um, so you have, yeah, you have to parry them. And then also, in Dark Souls, if you get hit, your first reaction is usually like you step away and re- uh, consider your your next move. way you're going to attack and you just take your time in Bloodborne when you get hit there's a small period of time like very small where if you hit them you can gain that health back yes so when you get hit by something in Bloodborne your Trash. next move should be to just go in with like a, a yeah. vicious like you're, you're rewarded of for being aggressive yeah that's the th- that's the thing like yeah Bloodborne is an aggressive game Dark Souls is a more considered okay. combat um, and Makes so sense. Dave, I think, just responds to the fact that it's a much faster game, Bloodborne, and much more, um, you, you attack quicker, you're not, you know, yeah. it's, they're it's the just, same, but within them, 
there's less to think about. It's yeah. more kind of, well, maybe well, not. Either either way, I mean, yeah. Dave, Dave can probably Dave, Dave can probably defend his own reasons for liking yeah. it, but they are both fantastic. But that, that's kind of the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. Uh, Dark Souls Three is great in that. Um, I kind of felt like after Dark Souls Two, uh, I felt like the whole Souls thing was a bit stale. Dark Souls 2 feels like a stale game to me. I never really responded to it. And part of that issue might be that I played Dark Souls 1 and for the first time as Dark Souls 2 came out and I bought Dark Souls 2 while I was playing Dark Souls 1 and then just went straight into it after finishing Dark Souls 1. Which is like one of the greatest experiences in any game I've ever played is Dark Souls 1. I still remember you talking about it at the time. Uh, And I love it loads and I don't like Dark Souls 2 and I know there's stuff like it's not the same team or it's not Miyazaki or Hideki Miyazaki is that his yeah. name? Uh, Hidetaka it's not the same guy you know he didn't lead the team he was busy working on maybe Bloodborne at the time or something sure um, and it wasn't I, I think he had limited involvement yeah, I just think it's a stale unimaginative game that breaks things that worked well with the first game and so was, when Dark Souls 3 was coming out I was like another Dark Souls game I'm not that interested Bloodborne was great give me more imaginative stuff yeah. explore more because Bloodborne was good in that it, it, and it kind of came out of nowhere as well right Bloodborne yeah yeah it was announced and then it kind of was just like it, it was announced as um, people knew it was going to be called like Project Beast or something right was the working title and people were like we're not sure what this is is it a Souls game is it something completely different turned out it was basically a Souls game but I would say it's not it's the same sort of principle yeah it's it's not formula because it doesn't adhere to the formula no it's not it's the same genre yeah it almost. certainly appeals to the same yeah. kind of player yeah and it's it's got the same attitude to lore and everything which is it's just an amazing game but yeah they were so they knew exactly where to depart from the 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 formula and they knew exactly where to stick with it and it was so considered and amazing and I was like don't do Dark Souls 3 why would you go back to that Dark Souls 1 was perfect Dark Souls 2 was a poor <laughs> attempt to return to Dark Souls just move on from Dark Souls do something else again don't do Bloodborne do something else again but then I went back when Dark Souls 3 I was at MCM Expo uh, and I went and I tried the demo and just even that small demo was in every way Rekindled your a love. Dark Souls game so but what, not what in a area, stale way. What area did the demo cover? It's very early on in the game. Like Lothric Castle or something? Yeah, it's... um. The, the thing is, the, I can't remember. The demo had nothing very specific in it. Um, is this? Yeah, I, and now I'm getting mixed up with a Bloodborne area. Um, but it's early on in the game. Okay. But just that area had so... M- so much character to it. And yeah, and just the way that the, the, the level design was, that's where Dark Souls 2 failed a lot, is the yeah. level design is trash. I mean, the, the environment in Dark Souls 1 yeah. is a character unto itself. Yeah. Like, you can become incredibly familiar with the area and learn all the shortcuts, know exactly where you're going, and it's very, very well designed. Yeah, and Dark Souls 2 just is... It's not a bad game. Sure. It's just... A poor attempt at making a Dark Souls game. I think a lot of people say that. Yeah. And like the thing is, Dark Souls is such a great game um, in ways that this is not a great game. Like There's nothing great about Dark Souls 2. There's maybe things that are acceptable. It's, 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 a, it's not a, ba- it's not <laughs> a poorly made game as well. It's, it's a well-made game. Sure. In terms of like, it's not 
buggy or particularly or anything, and it looks nice and it plays well in that the controls are fine and everything. It's just an uninspired, sure. unimaginative game with not very great level design. And then Dark Souls 3 is every way a sequel to Dark Souls 1. And I love that about it. Mm-hmm. It was so uh, exciting and refreshing to yeah. realise that the thing that was missing from the second one was definitely Miyazaki yeah. and that team or whatever. Whoever worked on the first one, they can bring that to a game again. And, and Dark Souls 2 was just... Does it feels like a B team game? It's like yeah. they're not hitting their best. Or I think I've written about this before, but for me, um, it was a really difficult game to get involved with and yeah. actually to to enjoy initially because it, there was such a steep learning curve. But um, it was the lore that dragged me back in. Yeah. Like I saw videos on um, on YouTube by Vati Vidya mm-hmm. and then Moonlight Butterfly. Yeah, and these guys are making videos which essentially extract some of the lore and um, analyze it or make short films out of it and uh, it it just really made me want to learn more so um, I think I'd started watching these around about the time when I'd given up on Bloodborne Mm -hmm. but I saw them and I was watching the lore of Bloodborne and areas that you get to later on and I was like no I want to see this I want to experience this for myself so that was when I got good it inspired you to get good the thing about I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time practicing and like uh, restarting, rerolling yeah. my character and stuff to well, that's the thing. understand it a little better. Dark Souls is the, those games on Bloodborne. There's a certain point, and up until that point, it it feels it doesn't feel fun. Hmm. And I remember that point. But there is a certain point where you hit your stride, and from then on. It's not even about getting better, I don't think. It's about understanding the how the game works, yeah. yeah, and what it expects of you. And yeah. at that point, I loved them. And I think Johnny had a similar experience. He didn't like Bloodborne when he was first playing it. Or at least he didn't like it as much as he thought he should because people were going on about how great it was. He was like, oh, yeah, it's good, but right. I don't quite get it. Um, and then I think like the next day when I spoke to him again, he was like, this game's amazing. <laughs> this game's great. And he loves it. I, th- I think for people that stick with it, the difficulty is not a crutch. It becomes yeah. something to overcome. Well, and you feel so accomplished when you do, when yeah. you defeat that boss that's been at you for days or you get over that area that's just swarming with mobs. I think the thing you need to understand is it's okay to be stuck yeah. in Dark Souls. If you go down a path and you're like, this is punishing I can't do it and I keep coming up against these roadblocks where I can't get past it and you're like but in Dark Souls it's learning to enjoy that as well yeah and to learn that even if you're stuck in a certain area and you're you're playing it you're still progressing don't think of progression in as in I'm in the next area yeah think of progression in more developing yeah like do I understand what's going to happen you know how do I defeat this or how do I get around this yeah things like the fact that a death isn't game over. Yeah. They, they've completely reinterpreted what progression is in the game. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes those games amazing. Up to the point where they've yeah. written it into the story. Yeah. I mean, I've never... I've obviously never played them, um, as I said, but it's refreshing even watching you playing them to see a game that's been made that isn't all solely based on we're going to baby you and it starts off easy. Yeah. And we're just going to walk you through it all. And you go here and you do this and then you move and then you go here and you do this and then you move. Yeah, it's it's all 
uh, show don't tell and it, there's no handholding. It's it's really good that way. I've read um, comparisons between Dark Souls and the very first Legend of Zelda game, mm. and um, I can't remember who said it, but they were like, the new Legend of Zelda games. Say you went back to the first Legend of Zelda game, and there are no other Legend of Zelda games, and you can imagine they made some decisions between then and now, which resulted in the 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 modern Zelda games that exist. You could see, you could also, if you were to imagine an alternate universe where they made some other decisions, you could easily see that first Legend of Zelda game being the seed for Dark Souls. Yeah, you could see there's a clear progression there that you could see. I think that's maybe because I don't know if it was a direct influence, but there's maybe some yeah. that a lot of the things that are present in the Legend of Zelda uh, are pillars of Dark Souls design. Like, yeah, you are put into this world. The very and first Legend no... of Zelda was bloody hard. Like it was yeah. not a handhold and well, you don't know what it is. Yeah. They don't explain what anything is. You just are in Eagle. this world and <laughs> you explore it. You'll learn about it. Simpler, obviously. It's all very simple. Yeah. It's like. Uh, you find the dungeon, you find how to get in. Um, there are NPCs that don't really give you anything. They sell you stuff, whatever. Yeah. The first guy goes, it's dangerous, go along, take, take this, this, that's it. And you're like, what am I doing? Who's this guy? What's this? You know. But you, by the end of the game, you do piece together kind of what might be going on. Um, yeah, it's... And you, you, the way the world starts to form in your head, you know, it's sure, it's just a 2D map. It's not the same in, in that Dark Souls. It's very real places with um, sp- spatial awareness and like uh, logic yeah. to the world whereas The Legend of Zelda is just a flat map but it does all start to connect up and you understand where you are in the world uh, as you learn about the space you're in as well as what you're doing and why and that is exactly yeah. what you get out of Dark Souls um, they're this, to me they are the same experience and the same game um, just I, f- I find that it's it's so much more immersive yeah than than like seeing a cutscene or like reading dialogue after dialogue explaining why you're there or what you're doing it's yeah. like if you were really in that world you would know you'd understand it so it's it's the director's job it's the uh, level designer's job to tell you these things yeah through well to sorry to show you these things through play rather yeah. than to just explain it to you I think it's funny that people a lot of people maybe think that Dark Souls is a new work is more sophisticated and we're getting more sophisticated in how we design games and yeah. how we experience games and it's the next step when actually if you think about it all they've done is gone hang on it's fairly bring it back yeah. you're over complicating this yeah. Yeah. we we have this this is what we need build on this yeah and then precisely um we've got this fantastic game and uh it's one of my all-time favorite games is dark souls yep and then one of my all-time favorite games is the first legend of zelda um and I would like to think it's not because I'm uh, a dirty hipster, uh, <laughs> but because there are design choices in that game that I think, or design elements in that game that are very important and often overlooked, and that even the the very next Zelda and other Zelda games, which are amazing games, they just don't have that. Yeah. Um, the closest is something like Link to the Past or something, but even there, I oh, think right. they lost a lot in that game between that one and so. I think so. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that's what I've always said about Dark Souls, I guess. And uh, Hidetaka Maizaki is reported to be working on something completely fresh for and his that's next project. I think so. that's, I want to see that's cool, right? what other 
ideas he has. And yeah. You can move away from the... I think there's only so much you can explore within the Souls formula. Yeah. It's such a, a brilliant, like, game formula. Yes. That but you do eventually have to move on yeah. and, like, explore other areas because he's he's kind of like a pioneer in his field. So yeah. it's, it's fair that he would want to try new things or to express new ideas that he can't fit in the Souls realm. Yeah, and it's something that's kind of more it's, it's exciting as well because Hideo Kojima's finally moving on from Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Uh, and Metal Gear, the first one, that was kind of one of the earlier examples of stealth in a game. It was. So Tactical espionage action. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. He he brought something new to the game industry and then got bogged down in uh, Metal Gear for however long, even though he explored some really interesting stuff within that framework. Now he's going to get to do something else, and well, it's going to be really exciting. When, when did he join Konami to work on Metal Gear? Well, he did. It wasn't. Uh, he didn't join Konami and then develop Metal Gear. Sure. He, there was other games previous to that that he developed for Konami as well. Some stupid penguin game for kids <laughs> and stuff. Penguins so are he, awesome. He, yeah, he worked his way up and then was given Metal Gear to develop. Was um, it Metal Gear Solid? No, Metal Gear. He worked on Metal Gear. Back he, in he 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 directed Metal so. Gear. Uh, right. And he was involved a lot in the design. That's um, almost 30 years. Yeah. He's an old guy. How old is he? He's like 50-something. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look his age. No, no, no. Uh, and actually, if you play Metal Gear 2, not so much Metal Gear, because Metal Gear was... A, between Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2, mm. um, Metal Gear 2 was called Solid Snake, I think. Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Yes. Um, there was stark differences in, like, they've... Just a leap in sort of game design. Not yeah. so much the technical aspect where like it looks so much better, but it actually in the mechanics and game systems that they put into it. I'm not really sure what terms you're supposed to use, but anyway. I always thought that it was remarkably close to the game design and level design and the way you interact in that world to Metal Gear Solid. Um, and I think Metal Gear Solid, the actual name, mm-hmm. it doesn't refer to Solid Snake. I heard it referred to the fact that it was the first 3D Metal Gear game. So it was like... I heard that rumor as yeah. well. So. Um, I don't know how true that is, but it kind of is. Um, but I thought, uh, if you play Metal Gear 2, you're like, so much stuff like the Soliton Radar, that's in Metal Gear 2. The items that you use and everything, it really just feels like a 2D version of Metal Gear Solid. It's so similar. Yeah. Apart from not in a 3D environment that you're like it's incredible even then on such a comparatively rudimentary system he was doing all this stuff with his mechanics yeah and that is something that I think he needs more freedom to go back to and do in the same way uh, Miyazaki that's exciting because yeah what was he going to do it could potentially be a second renaissance of uh, Japanese video games yeah um, I think a lot of people are pushing for that as well. It's 53. People really Sorry, want to... I had to go and look it up. 53. 53? Yeah. yeah. He looks good for a 53 year old. He looks very good for a 53 year old. Yeah, he doesn't look like it at all. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be interesting because obviously he did his little world tour as well with, uh, was it Mark Cerny? Mark Cerny? Oh, Hideo Kojima. Looking for technology and how other companies are using it to. And the thing that really struck me as well is he wasn't just visiting other. In fact, I don't think a lot of the time he wasn't visiting other game studios. He was visiting people like J.J. Abrams. Yeah. He's yeah. talking to people like uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, storytellers, filmmakers. Yeah. And so he's exploring ideas. If you, if you just go around and speak to other game designers, 
that's obviously important because everyone's got different ideas on how to export. Yeah. But, but you, you if will, all you talk to is game designers, you'll we'll never break into out a certain and, viewpoint yeah. and yeah, um, a certain skill. And if you're trying to bring something new to video games, then reaching outside of video games and going, well, how do they do this here? And bringing that again, how could we relate this to game design? Yeah, that's always quite interesting. I'd like to see what he finds. What sort of whether it was all just looking for new technology, or if he was looking for new ideas of other things, concepts that aren't like inherently part of tech. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, but obviously being aware of what other people are doing. I mean, you can derive yeah. certain uh, ideas from that that are yeah. not necessarily related just even to see something and think well i i never thought of doing it thought of doing it that way or building this kind of thing or no it'll be it'll be interesting i think at the very least there's there's probably something we can learn from it and 53 years old just gotta have a few good ideas left yeah particularly if he's been working on ideas that he hasn't been able to do because konami have suffocated him basically so there could be ideas that he had 20 years ago that Konami never let him work on that he's now going to be working on. You'd hope. And things that of, he could be have been polishing and working on for so long. Speaking of suffocating him as well, like the uh, the art book to ar- arrived yeah. for Metal Gear Solid 5 and all the cool ideas that were used in that. And, oh. But hopefully he'll uh, he'll have better luck. It's a, Metal Gear Solid is a, a game of... Death Stranding comes again. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five is like just the, the, a game of unreached potential. I think. Absolutely. That's the the biggest thing that Metal Gear Solid Five had going for it was the massive potential it had, and that's still exciting when I think about it. Yeah. Like that. Still going back to watch the trailers, like Dave's been posting them quite often. Yeah, he does it because he knows it annoys people. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Look at the potential. Look how great it could have been. Yeah, but like Compared it's still impressive. The ideas and. the concepts behind the game that Hideo Kojima was working on that he, although he didn't get to express you can still see the seeds of it yeah and that's exciting I still think I think eventually in maybe 20 years time I'll be able to go back and play Metal Gear Solid 5 and appreciate it for that I'm not prepared to do it now though it's... <laughs> you might go back and play it and be like what a piece of shit yeah maybe I'll go what back and go like you know I was correct this is awful <laughs> dad what's this game it's covered in dust no, put that back on the shelf, son. That could never be it. played. But you own two copies of it. It's like, I will literally abandon you. <laughs> put it down, liquid. <laughs> Dad, why'd you own this plastic arm? It's like... Mm. <laughs> uh, so what have you been playing? Everything. Really? If, if it was 2005, and uh, the Xbox was the hot ticket console... Second only to the PlayStation 2, in my opinion. <laughs> um, then, yeah, I've been playing everything. I got my... Um, so recently, I think I spoke about it before, I bought a CRT TV. You did, yeah. So yeah. I've been working my way through a whole bunch of different consoles that I can play on it that I haven't played on a CRT TV in years just to see what they're like. So I was playing my PlayStation 2. I was playing my Sega Mega Drive, uh-huh. stuff like that. But the other day, I got my Xbox out. And this one's special in that it is the only console I own apart from the PlayStation and the PlayStation 3. So anything older than that that I own that is the console that I actually owned when I first got that console. So as a teenager. It's, so it is actually, it's my yeah. Xbox from back then. Yeah. Everything else is in some reason or not. Because I didn't collect games as a child. 
mm-hmm. or as a teenager. So I traded things in, I sold things to get other games. So this is the one where I kept that, it has all my saves on it. I have all the games that I had from it then, and I got that one out finally. Uh, one complaint I had immediately after getting it out was that Xbox One has what the first Xbox has wired controllers. Yeah. yeah. The Xbox 360 does as well, but on the, it's more important for the first one because it has to be wired. Yeah. But they have breakaway cables. Yes. They have so there's the controller and a long cable, and then at the end there's one socket or whatever you would call it connector, which connects to a breakaway cable, which then has another connector which connects to the Xbox. Yeah. I have three controllers and I'd lost all of them. <laughs> oh. um, I couldn't find any of them. They'd fallen off or I hadn't tied them. They were rubber banded up and everything and I just hadn't rubber banded the... What's the purpose for the breakaway cables? What I think is, is, is I mean, it makes sense. The breakaway cable provides a point where it will break oh, away yeah. if there is if it gets pulled top. Okay. So it won't provide very much resistance. So like the uh, MacBook mag? Yeah. Cable. Yeah. Um, the connector that goes into the Xbox is bulkier, plugs right in, and needs a bit of force to come out. Not like a lot, but more. The breakaway cable will, if somebody trips over the controller, the breakaway cable breaks, but your Xbox doesn't come out at the front, which makes sense. Safety first. But after, I don't know how long I've had it, 10 years? Longer. Surely not 15 years. What age am I? 26? No, because I'd be 10. About 11 years? 10 11 years. years something like that. Uh... Came out when I was about 15, so about 2000, did it? Yeah, so, wow. so 15 years. I yeah, well, that's terrifying, actually. I was working on um, game when they first came out. That's yeah. disgusting. So, yeah. uh... No, you were working on game, sorry. After that long amount <laughs> of time, I lost all of them. And I tore my flat apart, being like, I should have <laughs> it. It must be yeah. here! And I was like, nope, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and order a new one. And then you found it, didn't you? Found it at the <laughs> bottom of my wash basket. What? Wow! Okay. Don't ask me why. I was like... I was like, hang on, I'm sure I put a bunch of stuff in my wash basket to um, move them when I moved into my new flat. I was like, I just dumped them in there and carried them in the wash basket. And I was like, I bet you I pulled all that stuff out, didn't check it, and started putting clothes in there. So I took all my clothes out, and sure enough, it was right at the bottom of the basket. Do you think that's where my external hard drive adapter is? Maybe. Which I have not been able to find since I Look in the weird places, because that's where you can't find them. So... Yeah, anyway, that's my story about why I hate the breakaway cables on the Xbox. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia for the Xbox, because uh, I traded in... I had a weird I had a weird point. I started with the PlayStation 2 in that generation. Yep. Traded that in at some point for I don't know why. I actually missed out a lot on the late PlayStation 2 okay. games. Like, I didn't play Metal Gear Solid until two, uh, 2 and 3 or whatever. Any of those games until, like, 2010. When they were re-released on PS3? No, no, I played them before that. Okay. Um, So anyway, because I traded that in for a GameCube, I didn't like the GameCube. Disappointment. Yeah, I was like, there's no games on this thing. Like, there there was, but nothing... um, You had to be wanting those specific games. I hated how tiny they were as well. That drove me insane. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I traded that in, or did I keep that... Uh, There was a while, though, after the GameCube... For a few years, I didn't play any games. I came out of gaming uh, and didn't keep up with it. What else did you do? I don't know. I didn't play games. I watched movies a lot. I went through... That's maybe another topic to talk about one day. Um, that was when... The movie phase. Uh, because DVDs were really hitting their stride. Yeah. People were trading in their... Not even just trading in their videos. Abandoning them. A lot of them. And you could go, go into... Um, 
charity stores and most charity stores would have a wall of uh, videos yeah. for like a pound all each. of Star Trek on video and yeah, yeah. Well, I did that in like 2012 it. that's the example so, I was making <laughs> um, but at the time I was I, I was maybe um, 13 or 14 at that point uh, and I used to get um, pocket money still sure I think I got like 10 pound a week or something and I would go each weekend and go into town and walk around all the charity shops with my £10 and buy 10 VHS tips <laughs> and go home and I had a massive VHS collection and I would watch these films um, and um, because video wasn't that old, videos were still coming out even. Yeah, I yeah. think the, yeah. the last video tape I remember coming out and seeing in the store was Star Wars uh, Revenge of the Sith. Right. That came out on video. So, really, unless you were wanting brand new films, you could get anything on VHS. And that's where I saw a lot of old films, because I was getting ten a week at most, and maybe five at least as a teenager. So, and so I saw... Just really making that ten-pound stretch. Yeah, well, I didn't do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went and... Um, like, that's a lot of films. I did that for, like, maybe... It was, like, maybe a year where that was Jesus the Christ. prime moment for watching VHS tapes and then they slowly started to fade uh, so that was my film how did you education. have space for that many VHS stack them <laughs> stack them as high, high up as you can no shelves hope to just, god that just it doesn't stack fall them. on top of you and you're yeah. buried alive those things uh, are heavy and, and my friend at the t- uh, one of my good friends at the time we used to he was into horror films so he would collect horror VHS but I'd just buy anything I remember things like like shit films as well like I just see a tape and I go, I don't know that film. It looks okay. I'll take it. Like I remember, I bought the English Patient. Oh wow! And I was like fourteen, watching the English Patient, and I was like, this is bad. <laughs> Why am I? Um, there was other films. I don't know. But it certainly would have when expanded I, your yeah the type of films that you watch. Yeah, I, there was things I would never have watched if I hadn't just picked it up from a charity shop. That's beside the point. Anyway, yeah, that's sorry. what I was doing instead of video games. And I missed out on a whole bunch of video games in that period of my life where. I didn't care about much about gaming. And the thing that got me back into it was uh, I picked up, for whatever reason, a Game Boy Advance. I got given one, or I had one, and I, I remember I had Street Fighter 2 and I was, the Amazing Spider-Man game or something, Ultimate Spider-Man. And I was playing them and I was like, oh yeah, video games are a thing that exist. And <laughs> I started playing other started video, games. Games. video games. Started getting itchy again. Yeah, but then I know. saw, um, because I played the Xbox late. I saw that this must have been 2005, I'm going to say. So it was a couple of years I didn't play video games. It wasn't that long. But at the time, when you're that age, that is a long time. Yeah. But at some point, I saw an advert for the Xbox 360. And I was like, oh, I want that. I want the Xbox 360. I'm going to play video games. Play the Xbox 360. Um, so I went to my mom. My birthday is quite close to Christmas. Uh-huh. And I was like, I really want an Xbox 360. Can I have that as a joint Christmas and birthday present? I've used that that as well. Yeah. Birthday in January. Um, so. so I was like, I know it's a bigger item. I know it, and it's just coming out. But I really want that. Uh, and my mom was like, okay, if you can wait and not get anything big for your birthday, you can have an Xbox 360 for Christmas. And I was like, sure. And then it got closer to my birthday. Uh, and I was like, being a kid, a teenager being impatient I was like actually I, I was like actually mum if I just get an Xbox can I have an Xbox now <laughs> and not get an Xbox 360 and she was like well I think you should wait 
and get the better one. But if you really want an Xbox, if that's what you want to do, you can go and get an Xbox. And I was like, yeah, it's, I think it was, I can't remember how much, but I bought it from Cash Converters or Cash Converters. <laughs> it was cheap. Um, and I remember I got that. Uh, and it was still, I think, because I think, I don't know if the Xbox 360 was coming out at Christmas or when it was coming out. It was just as the Xbox 360 was either about to come out or just coming out. I got my Xbox. And I remember I got um, a bunch of other stuff. Games, like, with it. Yep. Um, so, big big nostalgia for things that I played. And I, even then, it wasn't really... I wasn't really into games the way I am now, where I didn't really know anything about games that were coming out. And I played some... I was really into Dynasty Warriors 4 for, for like, hours I would play that game. I didn't have a big collection. I had Dynasty Warriors 4, uh, games like The Suffering. Right. Um, Knights of the Republic. Um, I had Knights of the Republic. Knights of the Republic was a big one. And like, I would only have, that's the thing that I miss about gaming when I was younger versus gaming now. And it's going to sound really, uh, spoiled, like, or, or just entitled, entitled, not entitled, but like, um, it's like ungrateful for the amount of video games I have now as an adult. Okay. There's too much Versus games. Yeah. But the thing was at that time, when you're a kid, you have, only you don't have your own income, you get what is generously given. Yeah. Um, so you only get a few games. If the game you get, you you play that forever. Yes. Yeah. Like you make the you not you even just the making the it. best of it. Yeah. You're just like I love games. I'm gonna keep playing this game. You, you become intimately yeah. uh, involved. With so it. that's I think why games, earlier games are so more important to people than games that they come to as an adult because the next thing comes along or. Uh, I played yeah. hours and hours and hours of um, Knights of the Republic. I played hours and hours and hours of Dynasty Warriors 4. None of the other Dynasty Warriors games. I've never played another Dynasty Warriors Just game. Four. If I play Dynasty Warriors, I'll go back and play 4. Oh. I was playing it the other day. Um, <laughs> doesn't quite hold up. It's a very simple game compared to a lot of games now. Uh, but... I don't know. I was going for my saves. And I still have all those old saves, which is why that Xbox is so important. Because yeah. I can see the saves. For instance, I had Halo 1. I remember playing Halo 1. Um, and uh, my save name was Sephiroth. <laughs> and I was like, of course, 15-year-old me called his Halo save Sephiroth. Yeah. Um, what else would you call it? I know. Uh, yeah, well, the other, the other one was my Jedi name. So my Jedi <laughs> name, which I, I called myself in Knights of the Republic. I got really into Star Wars. And mostly maybe because of the Knights of the Republic. Because that's an engrossing... It's like Bioware. Yeah. So yeah. it's like Mass Effect. It is Mass Effect. Before Mass Effect. Because they had the Star Wars... They laid the groundwork for it. Yeah. I guess Mass Effect is maybe them going, we don't have the Star... Well, they do. They have the Star Wars IP. So, I don't know. Maybe they want their own yeah, just, sci-fi. They must have been so limited with yeah. what they were allowed to do. Um, but it's incredible. If you think about Mass Effect and those kind of games, the sort of lore, but they're doing it with Star Wars lore and being able to explore that it's the best Star Wars experience. And that was such a great gaming experience. And I remember being in, it's like a city, it's not Coruscant, but it's similar. And you're looking around, and I remember just stopping and looking at the environment, uh, which is maybe another indicator of how little I played games before then, because the Xbox 360 was coming out, and here I was playing an old Xbox yeah. game and going like, this game wow. looks amazing. Uh, but still, that was, um, so I played hours and hours of that. Uh, well, because like, if you're, if you only have uh, 
you know, one or two titles. Yeah. Um, this, like you were saying, when you become an adult, you yeah. don't appreciate them as much. And that's yeah. right, because if you get stuck on a game, you're you just, just like, drop it. You yeah. drop it. You yeah, say, I'll get another one. Yeah. Or like, oh, this is coming out in a couple of weeks. I'll just play that instead. Or if there's some some Whereas when you're a kid, you force with... yourself to play because yeah. you nothing else. Like, And there are gems where you're like, gaming, like, amazing games that I love that have flaws. As a kid, you're like, sure, this game's kind of flawed. But I'm going to play it and like it because I can't just drop it because of the flaws. Yeah. I'm going to learn to live with those flaws and appreciate it for this. Um, And so it's the same, yeah. Uh, So so what have you been playing on your Xbox? Recently. Since you dug it out. So my my Xbox collection has gotten bigger. There's another wee thing I want. I remember uh, I got Xbox Live. I remember getting Xbox Live (laughs) because I convinced my mom to let me have an Xbox Live subscription. And that was like one of my first experiences of like online gaming with like a headset. Yeah, and, and everybody was an old. So, so yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I had it, but I don't remember a lot about it. I remember I didn't have very many Xbox Live games. I remember it was it was like forty pound a month. Yeah, it was for like, Xbox Live. Yeah. I'm sure it, it was, was like forty pounds a year. Forty pounds a year. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Um, was it a year? Not forty pounds a month. It's a ridiculous amount. That of is a ridiculous. Forty pounds a year. I, I think you could only. Um, because I uh, I was working in game at the time. Yeah. You get it in three months. You could get it in you lots of installments. Yeah. yeah. Um. You you could. I remember you go to the shop, you yeah. buy an Xbox Live pack yeah. with an Xbox Live headset, headset and, you're, you're and the wee thing that plugs in and stuff. You um, you could also get, I think they gave away months with uh, some games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the first game I played was 13 and booting it up and hearing people talking through the console and I was just like, Mum, there's people. <laughs> She's like, there's people in the console? I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with other people right now. She's like, so? So you never had a Dreamcast? No, I, I, I never did. No, I... Um, I uh, God, I can't even remember. I don't. I don't think there was necessarily online play with the Dreamcast. Yeah, but there was it, online. There was a browser. I yeah, there was. Much. There was definitely online mode. There was. There was no. I don't think there was a chat thing. Yeah. Not a voice chat anyway. The the, the, the Dreamcast was kind of. Dreamcast was amazing. Strange. I love it. Yeah. It was good, but the the online stuff was kind of funny because it was it was new. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, you were so. So that was exciting. That I remember that. I yeah. Nostalgia for that. I've still got my Xbox Live profile saved on my Xbox. You can't access it, but it says it there, my online name, um, which I'm not going to say. <laughs> it's not my current online name. It's embarrassing. But you will find my current... No, it's a bit weird. It's not the Lord Moogle. No, that's from later on. Um, you can edit that out, right? No, because they'll see it on my Twitter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that means I could probably say my original one. Yeah, go for it. But I won't because it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, not as embarrassing as Sephiroth. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was all really good. But recently, yeah, my, my Xbox collection has grown since I was a teenager. I've been playing Project Zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that's a game where uh, you are basically in a haunted mansion and you fight ghosts by f- photographing them. Yeah. That's a great game. It's a, there's puzzles and stuff. Uh, I've been playing. It's, it's one of the scariest games I've ever played. Yeah, that's terrifying. I think it's scarier than Silent Hill or Arrested Evil. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying it's scarier than Silent Hill. I'd say it's around about there. Definitely scarier than Resident Evil. I, I think but, it's scarier than Silent Hill, but it's... Uh, Resident Evil is more campy horror. Yeah, it's, not sh- like, it's schlock horror. It's... Uh, I've been playing... These were all very brief. I haven't really gotten right into them. I've just been sort of like revisiting Gavin. them. Yeah. Um, but I, these are games I played a lot of at some point in my life. The Suffering was one I went back to because I played lots of The Suffering, um, which if we're going to talk about... If we're going to refer uh, compare things to Silent Hill... It's like someone played Silent Hill and tried to make something similar, 
but they have the mindset of an edgy teenager. Um, and every other word is the word fuck or some other thing. It's uh, set on a prison island. Right. An island with a prison on it. Mm-hmm. And you're this guy and you're Torque. And he's like this hard, like silent prisoner. And he's been taken to, it's called um, Carnate Island Penitentiary. And it starts and you're being transferred to your holding cell on Daff Row. And the guard's like, this guy's a real sick, like, um, person. Don't, don't really know if I want to say that word on the podcast because it's quite strong. Um, uh, and he's like, I heard he killed his wife and kids. And they, they, they start describing it in, like, detail. And you're just like, ugh. Um, and then you're in your cell and there's all these, like, uh, it's like they'd watched The Green Mile. And they're like, this is what Death Row is like. <laughs> um, uh, except they're all saying, like, fuck this and fuck yeah. that. Sorry about all the swearing. Um, uh, and then um, something goes wrong and the lights go out and then these creatures come and start killing everybody and then you get broken out of your cell uh, and you're exploring this island and all the monsters are they're actually they're designed by Stan Winston who uh, uh, animator uh, I think did he work on the thing special effects guy name doesn't ring a bell but worked um, on Jurassic Park I'm sure it's Stan Winston um, quite well known uh, he did sign the monsters okay but they're all meant to represent different execution methods and stuff and then you break out of the prison and then you find a, sh- a shipyard or something and you learn about the gruesome history of slaving like slavers that would use Carney Island as a uh, a port or whatever and then you right. find the old mental hospital which had a brutal history of abusing Pris- uh, p- uh, patients. This island just of course. Yeah. Uh, so that's the whole thing. It's meant to be that this island has so much horrible stuff happen on it that the horribleness manifested. Yeah, it's like The Shining or something. Right. You know? Yeah. They've yeah. obviously they've Watch obviously known films. a lot of horror films, uh, but they are of the mindset of an edgy teenager. Yeah. So it's all really terrible. Yeah. Bad. But I was an but edgy teenager yeah. when I played it. So I loved it. So they know yeah. their audience. Yeah. Uh, it, um, the soundtrack's really great, though. There's some things in it that are really good. The soundtrack's one of them. And the monster designs are quite gruesome and cool. Okay. And they're by a really great artist. Uh, and then some other games. Dynasty Wars 4. I went back and played that. Obviously. Uh, and I think... Um, Did you ever um, play Cameo on the Xbox? No. That was like... I think it was by Rare. I know, yeah. That's the one with all the different... The, like One of the few games I remember owning and playing quite a lot but that that and Munch's Odyssey which was yeah. and Halo 2 which was pretty much the reason I bought the Xbox did you know that Halo they did not expect Halo to be the big breakout hit for the Xbox that was not the horse that Microsoft was backing they thought it would be good for the console to have it on the console yeah what they were really expecting to be the big breakout hit was Munch's Odyssey really they thought that would be the game, the console seller because if you cool. think about it it makes sense why would they think that this unproven I mean, in fairness. sci-fi game would be the big hit. Yeah, they it poached was... Munch's Odyssey from PlayStation. Yeah, from, they did. From Sony. Because so. that's how Microsoft made their success was stealing. Going and finding, <laughs> well, identifying and, and those IPs that would push the console. Halo well. was taken from Apple. Yeah. Because uh, the Bungie guys released it as Marathon and it was... No, 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 no. Marathon was a precursor to Halo. Right, but Halo was originally Apple only. It was like... It Mac was, yeah. Only. It was developed for the Mac. It's kind of like you can see where... Marathon influenced Halo in the same way you can see how Halo influenced their development of Destiny. 
Yeah. They've been making the same game for <laughs> years. Yeah. Um, but they are still distinct in that Marathon is a bit more. Um, it, there's a lot more to the lore of Marathon, or at okay. least they they delve into it a bit more than they do in Halo. And Halo is a bit more gung ho. And whether or not that's what Microsoft bought to it, brought to it, would yeah. Uh, but um, they did. They poached that from Apple, and they took. Abe's Odyssey was a big thing. I think maybe or it's, they saw Abe's Odyssey on the PlayStation. Was like that's doing well. That'll be the hit. Um, and they're our sort of mascot, and then Halo was the surprise. I don't know if it was a big surprise. Maybe they saw it coming a little bit longer. But originally, I read that that was the plan. Uh, I think I I played some Halo recently. Uh, still a good game. The classic. Yeah, you turn it on here. I played Halo on the Mac though back then. Yeah. I had my Xbox, but I was playing Halo on the Mac. Right. Um, which was actually really fun because uh, the Mac Halo community was small enough. Online. That's the thing. Halo on the Xbox didn't have online. Yeah. And I don't even know if Halo on the PC had online. It must have done. Must have had online on the PC, I would say. I'm not sure. Not certain. But it had online multiplayer on the Mac. I think Halo 2 certainly. Halo 2 had it on the Xbox. Yeah. Um, they branched out. Yeah. Uh, so, it, they, there wasn't a lot of Mac gamers because gaming on the Mac then was not a big thing. No, you, so, you didn't own a Mac to play games no. on it, certainly. Uh, so people who played Halo, particularly when I played it, because it was later, it yeah. wasn't when it came out, um, there was a very small Halo community on the game uh, of people who were playing it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I got really into that, and I was part of a clan and stuff. That was a really great time. And yeah. I remember I went back, I, f- I stopped playing. I played it for years on Halo on the Mac, and then I stopped playing, and then I went back like, a few years later, I went and it's the same guys on the same Still maps, it, same Blood Gulch with the snipers. So, oh, yeah, and I was just like, "That's really cool." Oh, hey guys, and they were like, "Oh shit, it's you." And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it's me. Um, and then I played for a bit and then stopped playing again. But uh, so, I guess I don't really know what I thought people would get out of this on the podcast, but it's a good we. I think that's a period of gaming that means a lot to me. Yeah, uh, and it's quite nostalgic, even though. It's nice I've we're getting never, history lessons. Well. Yeah. I've never felt any loyalty to Microsoft or the Xbox. I'm still very much a PlayStation gamer because I started on the PlayStation. Yep. But there was a, a few years where the Xbox was the best console. I think it still is one of the best consoles. People say the PlayStation 2 is great, and it is. And you have to it recognize is. how good it was. But so good. It's at the, the same time, such a great list yeah, of games for it. I think I've people missed out from... Soft spot for the Xbox. Yeah. It's such a weird console as well. It's huge. Brian likes to take the mic out of. Yeah, well, we haven't set up your 360. We haven't, no. I did, um, actually, I bought a 360 before I got a PlayStation. I went for 360. I went to the midnight launch of the Gears of War 3 Special yeah. Edition. That's where I got my Xbox 360, is the Gears of War 3 Special Edition. I got Gears of War. I got two copies of Gears of War 3, actually. <laughs> um, I still own two copies. Is there any reason? Uh, because I got the special edition console, which comes with Gears of War uh, okay. 3, I and was... I got the Gears of War 3 Ultimate Collector's Edition. That's why I have two copies of wow. Metal Gear Solid 5. That's dedication. Like, you really like Marcus Phoenix. I love Gears of War. Like, I spent, I was in uni, and I think I went to that midnight launch and spent like 500 quid oh, on an Xbox and the Ultimate Collector's were, Edition. Uh, were you selling drugs? Uh, How student has that much money? <laughs> one that didn't do a lot else at the time. Wow. And worked a lot of hours. Yeah. I worked a lot of overtime for that freaking Xbox, right? Like, it is... Gears of War has a special place in my heart. 
Gears of War was the first Xbox 360 game I owned. I remember buying that. I don't know the why X, it was that one. Mine was Call of Duty 2. Call of Duty 2. I the forget first, that Call of Duty was like... Gears of War was Call the first Duty. Xbox 360 game that Shortly we had. after Medal of Honor, I think, yeah. on PlayStation 1. Because my mum and dad bought me and my brother as a joint Christmas present. The, when the Xbox 360 came out, we got the Xbox 360 pack with Gears 1 and 2. And my mum was absolutely horrified because my mum and dad bought my mum and dad bought games based on me telling them what they should buy. Now bear in mind I'm seven years older than my brother. Yeah. Um, absolutely horrified because obviously you're opening opening of Gears of War, you open in the prison with mutilated bodies hanging yeah. from like prison cells. My mum was devastated when I turned it on on Christmas morning and my brother was like, Yeah, let's shoot stuff. And then you get your chainsaw gun out yeah. and you just like blood everywhere. Chainsaw Lancer, like the original Retro Lancer is the best weapon in that game. That's a th- funny thing. I think that would be a good topic for a podcast is how um, content in games and whether or not you think, I don't know, because I always wondered if I had kids, what would I let them see? Right, okay. Because I'm obviously more informed about games than my parents like, were. How much is too much? Yeah, but the thing is... I think it depends Working on your back kid's up. maturity and yeah. mentality. Like, I mean, some kids can handle more yeah. at a younger age. And some kids can Can't. never handle anything. Like, Looking back at my childhood with games, there are some games where I think if my parents were better informed about games, it's not a failure because they, they don't play games. And yeah. how do you... You can't play a 60-hour-long a game and know all of the content. It's, I don't like think I would have... I don't think they would have given me, like, for instance, Final Fantasy VII even... There's some things in there where I was like, maybe not a kid that young, but I loved it as a kid, and I was like, I think that's interesting. Like, certain games and the content of games, but Gears of War is obviously a more obvious one. Yeah, it's obvious. I mean, like, I (laughs) I got both me and my brother got Grand Theft Auto games before we should have ever been allowed them. I remember because my dad just thought they were car games. Yeah, I remember playing Grand Theft Auto at my cousin's. I wouldn't. I don't know if I. I wouldn't have really even bought it, but. Maybe, I don't know. I never asked for it, but he had it, and I remember playing it. Oh, do you know what else my dad bought my brother? Uh, God of War. God of War. That's, oh, and there's a lot of sex in that. And then very, very quickly took it back. <laughs> um, and I remember, you've just playing games around other franchises. My friend, um, one of my friends always had games like Alien and Silent Hill and stuff. But I think that's maybe a bigger topic. Awesome. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, if our listeners have any opinions on like content and games and you know crossing the line of, of taste and decency, then... And to remember that um, the, I don't know if uh, games were really put under much scrutiny then as well as they are now. Obviously, there's certificates and ratings. Yeah. There was ratings back then, but I don't know if they were different. It was the... You'd get in the box, yeah, it would say, here are yeah. the age ranges for this game, but I don't know how much, how much of that information was prominent and available and understood versus now you get the BBFC certificate on it yeah, and you see it and people know that is a, yeah. a content warning. It would depend as well on uh, store policies and whether or not they would adhere strictly to that Yeah, um, when they were selling content because I mean if, if it wasn't a legally binding thing they might just want the money or, not, or they might not less... themselves understand if the person is just an employee yeah. the content of certain games. There was a lot less scrutiny in general I guess like, mm. games were just games. Anyway, uh, we should probably wrap up the podcast there. Yes. Because we've been talking for quite a while. Um, yeah. We didn't get a chance to talk about our uh, budget game title yeah. challenge this week because Dave's not here, so I yeah. felt it's probably best to wait for him to come back. Yeah. 
So to round up, does anyone have a poorly remembered video game quote? Ashley, do you have a quote? I do. So my quote is Ding pot, ding pot by the bench, who's the nicest looking winch? Right. I have no idea where that's from. It's probably not something I've played. You have any idea, Liam? No. No. Good. Well, if uh, if you, dear listener, know which game that quote is from, let us know, and uh, we'll read you out. Uh, there, there wasn't no nobody guessed this week's one, uh, hence why I didn't uh, give you a name when I told the answer at the beginning of the show. It's because nobody has good taste in video games like everybody. No. Remembering it those classes, One Nine is a great game. Get on it. Yeah. Go go check that out. It's uh it's aged pretty well. But thanks for listening, and uh, don't forget to check out the show notes on azarin.com and get in touch with any questions or feedback. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye. guys. Do anyone remember the main character's name from Wildman? Yeah, Wildman dude. Wildman dude. <laughs> um, yeah. That guy. His name's like Jumpy McCann. <laughs> can, can guy. Can, can dude. <laughs>